Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, January 8th, 2024. Right, the first story at the top of antiwar.com today. President Biden is leading the U.S. into a major Middle East war. So as tensions are soaring in the Middle East due to the brutal Israeli assault on Gaza, U.S. officials are warning that President Biden's decisions could lead to a major regional war. So U.S. officials told HuffPost that if Israel provokes a full-blown war in southern Lebanon, the consequences could be catastrophic. And this is one U.S. official talking about war games that the Pentagon has been doing. Uh, This official said, quote, Every scenario shows this would escalate into something terrible, whether in terms of counterterrorism or war with Iran, end quote. The official said that many in the Biden administration fear unconditional U.S. support for Israel could embolden Israeli officials to expand operations into Lebanon. Last week, Israel significantly escalated escalated the situation by launching a drone strike in Beirut that killed a senior Hamas official who was involved in hostage negotiations. So this U.S. official said, listen to this quote, quote, I've been trying to keep an avalanche from falling on Lebanon, and so have a lot of people. The problem is no one can reign in Biden. And if Biden has a policy, he's the commander-in-chief. We have to carry it out. That's what it comes down to very, very, very unfortunately, end quote. And this is another example of the dissent within the Biden administration. And I know HuffPost has had a lot of sources from the uh, unhappy officials in the State Department, as well as uh, other um, uh, departments in the U.S. government. So another U.S. official said that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, his defense minister, and his minister of strategic affairs are all, quote, hell-bent on seizing this moment to expand the war into southern Lebanon and deliver some mythical imagined death blow to Hezbollah, end quote. So saying that they're hell-bent on this big war in Lebanon, and we've seen other reports that say U.S. officials are worried Israel's trying to provoke a war, trying to provoke Hezbollah as a pretext for a wider war. So there's also a report in Politico that quoted U.S. officials who said the administration is drawing up plans to respond to a protracted regional conflict. So they're preparing for this thing to really turn into something big. And, you know, regional conflict, they say that the war games show it could turn into war with Iran, which, again, would just be catastrophic. And Lebanon is just one area where Israel's assault on Gaza is spilling out into the region. The U.S. and its allies are threatening to strike the Houthis in Yemen over their attacks on Israel-linked commercial shipping in the Red Sea. And the U.S. is already in a low-level conflict with Shia militias in Iraq and Syria, and that could also explode. Instead of pressuring Israel to end its brutal assault on Gaza and ease tensions with Hezbollah, President Biden is opting for regional escalation as he continues to provide Israel with this full-throated support. And the official speaking to HuffPost reaffirmed that the Biden administration is not considering placing any conditions on military aid to Israel. 
So again, that quote, just the fact that you have a U.S. official here saying that they can't rein in Biden, it just goes to show how pro-Israel Biden is. And the political report kind of got into this. I didn't, I didn't mention it in here, but they were quoting officials who were basically worried that this is going to cost Biden the the election, not cost him the election in 2024, but it's it's not going to help him. Um, so it just goes to show how dedicated Biden is to supporting Israel. All right, so the next one here, Hezbollah trades heavy fire with Israel, damages strategic airbase. This article is from Jason Ditz. Still angry at the assassination of a Hamas figure in Beirut last week, the Hezbollah movement carried out what it called a preliminary response, trading heavy fire with Israel along the Lebanese border. So Hezbollah launched a pretty significant attack, and and it's interesting that they called it their preliminary response to the killing of Salah al-Haruri in Beirut. Um, Initially... So it says they said that they attacked a hilltop observation post in Israel, firing off 62 rockets. The outpost was purported to be for observation and aerial control. Israel later confirmed that the attacks hit the strategic airbase at Mount Meron. Though Israel was somewhat late in commenting, it you know this happened Saturday and they didn't confirm it until Sunday. Um, they admitted that this base, Mount Meron, sustained extensive damage from the strikes and it's an aerial control site for the israeli air force and it serves as the northern air control unit the hezbollah strikes came with anti-tank missiles not smaller ones that could be intercepted by the iron dome so they couldn't down these missiles which fly at a uh, a low altitude um so I think, you know, you see Hezbollah saying this is preliminary. That sounds like they're going to be doing a, a lot more of this or could go bigger. All right. At the same time, one thing that's interesting is that some of these reports I've been reading about the situation in Lebanon, U.S. officials are acknowledging that Hezbollah is, you know, trying to cool thing. you know, is showing that it doesn't want a major war. They're they're not uh, being as provocative as Israel, and that's coming from U.S. officials. All right, so the next one here. I think this might be good news. Iraq moves to expel U.S. troops after drone strike. So Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani said on Friday that his government is beginning the process that will lead to the expulsion of foreign forces, which includes about 2,500 U.S. troops. So al-Sudani said, quote, we are setting the date for the start of the bilateral committee to put arrangements to end the presence of the international coalition forces in Iraq permanently, end quote. So the statement came a day after a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad killed a deputy commander of the Popular Mobilization Forces, which is an umbrella group of mostly Shia militias that's part of the Iraqi government security forces. The PMF was initially formed in 2014 to fight ISIS. So al-Sudani said, quote, The popular mobilization forces represent an official presence affiliated with the state, subject to it, and an integral part of our armed forces. We condemn the attacks targeting our security forces, which go beyond the spirit and letter of the mandate that created the international coalition, end quote. The U.S. said that the drone strike was in retaliation for attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria that started in October due to President Biden's support for what Israel's doing in Gaza. 
The U.S. claimed the man they targeted, Mushtaq Talib al-Saidi, also known as Abu Taqwa, was involved in the attacks but provided no evidence for the claim. So it really is something, you know, the U.S. has now launched several rounds of airstrikes in Iraq, and al-Sudani's government has strongly, strongly condemned each one. And this is supposedly the U.S.'s partner in the country, is the Baghdad-based government, but they don't care what they're saying at all. They're just continue to launch airstrikes against their own security forces. And of course, you know, they're not happy about this. Um, And they actually called it a terrorist attack. They said the latest airstrike was no different from a terrorist act. And so the U.S.-led international coalition in Iraq justifies its presence as part of the fight against ISIS, but al-Sudani has said The ISIS remnants that are left in the country could be handled by Iraqi forces, and Iraq's government has been under significant pressure to expel the U.S. since January 2020, when a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad killed the Iranian general, head of the Quds Force, Qasem Soleimani, um, and another person that was killed in that strike, which a lot of people aren't aware of, was Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, and at the time, he was the leader of the PMF. So you see why many in Iraq were very angry about that airstrike. But the U.S. has refused to leave, and they have a lot of leverage over the Iraqi government. They could crush the Iraqi economy, the U.S., just if they wanted to. And, you know, that's the way the U.S. operates. That's what they're doing to Syria right now, and they they occupy the eastern portion of the country. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if al-Sudani really tries to kick them out, that the U.S. takes some pretty extreme measures. But hopefully, you know, if this ends with the U.S. pulling out of Iraq, if the U.S. gets out of Iraq, they probably have to get out of Syria, too. Um, You know, that could be good for everybody. All right. So the next one here, Qatar says that Israel's killing of Hamas official derails talks. So this is interesting. Qatar's prime minister and other officials met with family members of six Israelis held captive in Gaza. This was on Saturday. And the... Qataris told them that Israel's killing of a senior Hamas official in Beirut made negotiating a new hostage deal much more difficult. Israel launched a drone strike in Beirut on January 2nd that killed Salah al-Aruri, the deputy chief of Hamas's Politico Bureau, who played a key role in negotiating the deal that resulted in over 100 Israelis and over 200 Palestinians being freed a day before the drone strike. Israeli officials told Axios that Hamas was showing a willingness to negotiate. They said Hamas made an offer that they rejected, but they said it showed that Hamas was at least interested in negotiation. So a day after Israeli officials said that, they launched this drone, Israel launched this drone strike. So Qatar's Prime Minister Mohammed bin Abdul Rahman Al Thani hosted families of Israeli hostages in Doha and told them that Qatar was committed to working toward their release. A Qatari official told Axios, quote, We have engaged directly with the hostages' families to share as much information as possible and to assure them that Qatar is committed to using every resource to secure their release. We will continue to engage with these families, end quote. So the official said that Qatar is using every possible channel, but stressed that Qatar is a mediator and does not control Hamas. The official said it's become increasingly difficult to maintain channels of communication due to, quote, the escalation of bombardment in Gaza and elsewhere, which candidly compl- complicates the hostage negotiations, end quote. 
So besides sabotaging the negotiations, the Israeli drone strike in Beirut also risks a major regional war, as I covered in the first story there. All right, so the next one here, October 7th probe ignites tensions between military and Netanyahu allies. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone. He wrote this up on Friday. It says that tensions between the Israeli military and several Israeli politicians boiled over during a war cabinet meeting, and I believe this was last Thursday night, and it was about an investigation into the October 7th Hamas attack. The government, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, has deflected blame for the Hamas intrusion in southern Israel. Several reports have produced evidence that Tel Aviv should have been able to prevent the attack. During the war cabinet meeting, the Israeli military announced plans to conduct an official inquiry into the October 7th Hamas attack. And one Israeli official um, confirmed that the Israeli military representative was attacked by several senior ministers over both the timing and makeup of the probe, basically saying it's like a political attack on Netanyahu wanting to investigate the October 7th attack. Um, And what's interesting is that Benny Gantz, so Benny Gantz is a former uh, defense minister. He was actually supposed to be an alternate prime minister in in a previous Netanyahu government. I believe it was the last one Netanyahu had before this one. And, uh, Gantz was supposed to be the prime minister, but then that government was dissolved. Um, but anyway, so he's, you know, he is the opposition. Uh, he's the Nash member of the national unity party, but he's part of the war cabinet now. And apparently he, uh, spoke up very strongly to defend Netanyahu, which is interesting. And this might show that Netanyahu might not need these guys like Ben Gavir and Smotrich who kind of just for PR reasons, uh, uh, might not be the the best people to have in your government. Not that Netanyahu disagrees with the things they say. Uh, but anyway, uh, Gantz said that the idea of investigation was, quote, a politically motivated attack in the middle of a war. I participated in many cabinet meetings. Such conduct has never occurred and must not occur, end quote. Also, though, the Ben Gavir and Smotrich also strongly defended Netanyahu, Um so uh, Kyle goes through some things here, the evidence, the mountain of evidence that Israel should have been able to prevent this attack, that they had Hamas's attack plans for over a year. They had all these warnings um, from sources in Gaza, from IDF soldiers whose job it was to surveil the Gaza border, uh, yet it still happened. And the, the music festival was not told to leave, you know, all these just... Um, Definitely either a huge intelligence failure or, you know, they kind of just let it happen. But I'll let, you know, it's tough to know what the real story is now. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely not Netanyahu's interest for an investigation. He just wants to keep this war going as long as possible. All right, so the next one here, Israel in talks with Rwanda and Chad to to exile Palestinians. So this article is from Middle East Eye. And it says Israeli officials are in talks with Rwanda and Chad to receive Palestinians pushed out of the Gaza Strip. This was reported by the Israeli news site Zimin Israel. And I believe that's the Hebrew sister site of the Times of Israel. So both countries expressed a basic agreement to continue talks according to unnamed sources, unlike other countries which have refused in principle. According to the Israeli outlet, the initiative is spearheaded by the foreign ministry and Mossad, Israel's intelligence service. One official told Zimin Israel, quote, the business is very complex. 
We must promote this channel, but be very careful of the reactions in the world and also of the fear that it will be interpreted as a transfer and not a voluntary migration. That's why we work with close legal advice, end quote. Um, and there's that term again, voluntary migration, while they're just destroying uh, these people's homes and, and cutting off their food and water. Um so the basic outline of the initiative is to give f- financial grants to any Palestinians who express a desire to leave Gaza, along with extensive aid to the receiving country, including military aid. Um, and Zimmon Israel earlier reported, which I, I wrote a story on, that, that Israel held similar talks with Congo about this, but apparently they, they seemed less interested, less willing to accept the offer. Um, and I know publicly... Um, Rwanda and Chad have denied this, that they're thinking about taking in Palestinians. But, um, you know, I don't think Israeli media would, you know, just make something like this up because it it doesn't make the Israeli government look very good. Um, But more evidence that, you know, the ultimate goal is the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. All right, so the next one here, the IDF says fighting in Gaza will continue all year. So the head of the Israeli Defense Forces said Sunday that he expects Israel to continue its brutal assault on the Gaza Strip all year. So this is IDF Chief of Staff Herzi Halevi. He said, quote, the year 2024 will be challenging. We will be at war in Gaza. I don't know if it will be all year long. We will be fighting in Gaza all year. That's for sure. And this will also hold the other arenas, certainly in the West Bank, to a certain state of alertness, end quote. So it's weird. He kind of says, I don't know if it'll be all year, but yes, it will be all year. And there was also recently uh, an IDF spokesman said, we're going to be, you know, this is going to be going on. You know, they call it fighting, but it's really just a slaughter uh, that this is going to be going on through 2024. Halevi also warned of the possibility of another war. That, That was his words another war in lebanon as cross-border strikes between hezbollah and the idf have increased since the israeli drone strike in baghdad so on saturday idf spokesman daniel hagari said moving forward israel would be focusing its operations in gaza on the central and southern portions of the strip where most of the 2.3 palestinians who live in gaza are located after many fled israel's bombardment in the north Hagari signaled Israeli operations in the north might wind down, claiming that Israel has dismantled the military framework of Hamas in the area. He said there continues to be fighting, but that Hamas has been left, quote, without a framework and without commanders. Now we are focusing on dismantling Hamas in the central and southern Gaza Strip. We will do this differently, thoroughly, based on the lessons we have learned from fighting so far, end quote. So again, I mean, there's, I believe, nearly 2 million Palestinians in the southern and central areas um, of Gaza, just packed in people living on the streets in tents and in these so-called safe zones that are still being bombed and people are starting to starve and disease is spreading. And, you know, they're saying this is going to go on all year, many, many Palestinians are going to die potentially in the hundreds of thousands. There's like estimates from health officials, health experts who, who public health experts who say if this things don't change, 500,000 Palestinians could be killed this year in Gaza. Uh, so horrific. The latest numbers from Gaza's health ministry 
uh, say that nearly 23,000 23, Palestinians have been killed since October 7th, mostly women and children. And that number is considered low because thousands are still under the rubble. And remember, this is Gaza's health ministry, but the U.S. has acknowledged these numbers are probably lower than the true death toll. And Israeli officials have basically said the same thing and said that uh, they're probably accurate numbers at the that, that are being put out. All right, so the next one here, son of Al Jazeera's Gaza bureau chief killed in an Israeli attack. So this is uh, just brutal. Um, this is a story from Al Jazeera. And this guy, Wal Dadu, who is Israel's Gaza bureau chief, has lost most of his family. And and uh, if you remember, if it sounds familiar, uh, it's because I've covered his family being killed before. So Hamza Dadu, the eldest son of Al Jazeera's Gaza bureau chief, Wal Dadu, has been killed by an Israeli military missile strike in the western part of Khan Yunus, Gaza. Journalist Mustafa Thuraya was also killed in the attack when the vehicle they were traveling in near Al-Mawasi, a supposedly safe area towards the southwest, was struck by the missile. A third passenger, Hassan Rajab, was seriously injured. So that's two more journalists that were killed by Israel. Um, you know, nearly a hundred Palestinian journalists have been killed so far. It's just a, 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 I don't know what other word to say, but it's just a crazy number of journalists uh, that have been killed in this thing. And so uh, he was 27 years old and the other journalist was also in his twenties. And um, again, I think it was earlier, the Gaza bureau chief lost his wife, lost other kids, um, just really, Horrific stuff. Um, all right. So the next one here, North and South Korea fire artillery near the border. So this is another, this is another one from Kyle that he wrote on Friday. Following a series of pro- provocative U.S. and South Korean war games, North Korea responded by a major artillery drill. Pyongyang fired over 200 rounds in the direction of a disputed border group of South Korean islands. Seoul subsequently ordered the evacuation of residents of two islands. On Friday, North Korean forces fired artillery towards South Korea's Yang, I'm going to butcher this, Yan Pyong Island Group, in a, and in a statement published on North Korean state media, North Korea said that its military staged a naval live shell firing drill drill into five districts so they fired a ton of artillery i remember seeing reports when this was happening that uh south korea ordered the evacuation of this island um and south korea responded by again doing the evacuation and also holding more live fire drills so this is the cycle in the on the korean peninsula is just tit for tat escalation uh, U.S. and South Korea major war games, including war games simulating the assassination of Kim Jong-un and North Korea firing missiles and artillery and who knows what this could lead to. Uh, there's just no sign of this uh, these tensions easing anytime soon. All right. So the next one. So this is a strange story. Fallout from Lloyd Austin's undisclosed hospitalization. So apparently Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin was in the hospital. And he didn't tell anybody or the Biden administration didn't tell anybody. And they're supposed to publicly disclose these things, especially, you know, it's the head of the Pentagon. So apparently uh, this is uh, kind of a scandal going on 
within the Biden administration. And this is a story from Politico about it. And the headline is, the Lloyd Austin fallout is growing. Someone's head has to roll. So I'll just read some of the article here. At a White House meeting last week, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, noticed that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was absent. A top Pentagon official, Sasha Baker, was there in his place. There was nothing obviously unsettling about this. Austin was scheduled to work from home, and lower-level aides often sit in for their bosses. But what neither Sullivan nor Baker knew at the moment was that Austin was already hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center with complications from an undisclosed surgical procedure. Days later, Austin's secret hospitalization had spiraled into a drama engulfing the upper echelons of the Biden administration. Senior White House officials are struggling to answer questions about who knew what and when about the former general's medical emergency. Criticism is pouring in from Congress and the media, and since the Pentagon went public with the situation Friday night, new reports are coming in, including Politico's disclosure on Saturday evening that the Pentagon had not informed President Joe Biden or the National Security Council for days that Austin was indisposed. Um, and so nobody knows what's happening with Lloyd Austin. They say that his job is not in jeopardy, at least not yet, but apparently someone, someone's head's got a roll. Uh, they, they want to punish somebody for this in the Pentagon. And there's no, uh, any, nobody knows what Austin, at least the public doesn't know what Austin was in the hospital for, for apparently he had surgery and then was hospitalized further for complications because of that surgery. So we'll see if anybody gets fired over it. Um, so that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Gareth Porter, how Israel leverages genocide with Hamas massacres. One from John Mearsheimer, the case for genocide in Gaza. And this is uh, interesting. It's his kind of review of the 84-page application that South Korea, sorry, South Africa filed with the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of genocide. And it's interesting because Mearsheimer, and I saw him say this in an interview, I think with Glenn Greenwald, said that, you know, he didn't classify what was happening in Gaza as a genocide at first, but after the 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 pause, the hostage exchange, and when Israel ramped things up just as much, you know, ramped up the bombing just as much as it was before, and the ground campaign in the south where all these people were located, that's when he realized uh, was more than just a slaughter. He he does consider it genocide now. And I think reading this document and, you know, it's a very strong case for genocide. And the definition is destroying a people either whole or nation, either wholly or in part. And it's clear that the Israelis want to destroy all the Palestinians in Gaza or get them out of there. Um, so, but it's an interesting read from Mearsheimer. One from Ramsey Baroud. What is Netanyahu's ultimate goal in the Middle East? One from Noah Lennard, how Joe Biden became America's top Israel hawk. And one from Aaron Mate, in Gaza genocide, U.S. defends Israel's aura of power. Um, so that is everything for me for today. Uh, you could support this show by telling your friends about antiwar.com, like and subscribing wherever you watch, uh, leaving reviews or ratings where if you listen to the audio version. Um, but anyway, that's it for me. I hope everybody had a good weekend. Thanks for listening.